church. Good morning. Those who are here, those who are watching at home, good morning. I uh, hope you've had a good time in the snow. How many of you guys went sledding? Anybody go sledding? All right. Good, good, good. All right. Nobody got hurt. That's good. That's good. Anybody, anybody have a uh, snowball fight? Snowball fight? Awesome. Anybody build a snowman? Build a snowman? All right. Good, good. Well, we've had a good time in the snow. Hope you've had fun. I've had a great time with my girls. They love when it snows. And so we've had a lot, a lot of fun. And just so thankful for just this time of year and just this kind of season. Hey, let me ask you a question. What drives you? You know, what drives you in life? What compels you to get up out of bed in the morning? What, what drives you through the day? What, what is the overarching decision that you make every day of your life? What are the things in your life that really drive you? I mean, for a lot of people, it's money, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, that's why they get out of bed. That's why they go to work. For, for a lot of people, it's, you know, kind of success. Or, or it's, you know, hey, I want to be seen. I want to be recognized. I want to be noticed. For, for a lot of people, it's leisure. I want to have a vacation. I can't wait. I'm living for that vacation. It's coming up. It's only three months away or four months away. Kind of living for that moment. What is it that drives you? And not that any of those things are bad, Right? But I want to tell you, all those things fall way short of what God wants for us. All those things just pale in comparison to the life that God desires for you and for me. And we're going to talk about that today. Welcome back to our series called Brand New. And we're in this great series, and this memory verse that we have is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone, I love that, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And what we're talking about as we begin this brand new year is that we are new in Christ, that our lives should look different than our old life, our old carnal man, that our lives should look different than the way the rest of the world lives, that we are brand new. Now, being brand new begins, number one, we said last week, when you are redeemed in Christ. And so as we look at this series, we talked about redeemed in Christ, that we are transformed. That discipleship is not simply about information or behavior modification. Discipleship happens when you are transformed in Christ. That Christ makes us brand new. That Jesus had these seven great I am statements in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the gate by which you enter into a relationship with God. I am the good shepherd by which you follow. I am the vine by which you remain, that the nutrients for the spiritual life come in Christ. And if you're trying to grow any other way, it's not going to (laughs) happen. It's in Christ. So we're redeemed in Christ. Then we said we were fueled by the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit fuels us. When God places His Holy Spirit within us as we are drawn to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, God gives us the deposit guaranteeing our eternity with Him. And the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. It's how we live the Christian life, through Christ and driven by God's call in our life. And we said last week that we're inspired to grow, right? That you and I should mature in our faith, that we're spiritual children, but we become spiritual young men and then spiritual fathers, that we grow up in Christ. And so are you maturing? Are you growing? Are you becoming 
And as we're unpacking this series over the last several weeks, we're seeing how we're redeemed, that we're fueled. We're seeing how we're growing. And today we're talking about how we're driven. And we're driven by love. That love should drive us. That love becomes the overarching principle of our life. That we grow in Christ by love. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is called the love chapter, and it is awesome. And we're going to unpack the word of God today, but it is so good, so deep, it's so rich. And God has a word for all of us, I believe, with all my heart today. And so I'm so glad, so glad that you're here, so glad if you're watching online this morning. Now, the Apostle Paul ends 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And do you realize that when you become a follower of Christ, God places his Holy Spirit within you, and you have spiritual gifts. You have gifts that God gives you to use for his name and for his glory. And then the Apostle Paul ends chapter 12 by saying, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so he says, out of all the gifts that you have, eagerly desire the greater gifts. He comes to chapter 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. He says, hey guys, this is it. This is how you're called to live. This is how you should be driven in the decisions you make and the things that you do. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the Apostle Paul says it better than I ever could, right? The Apostle Paul says, hey guys, listen, if your whole ambition in life is success, or your whole ambition is money, and you have a lot of prestige, but you miss love, you've missed it. <laughs> End of the day, you've missed it. You've lived all your life for the wrong things. You've been climbing the ladder, but it's leaning against the wrong wall, right? You have been missing it. As Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And so you and I today are coming and we're saying, God, I want to live my life for your name and for your glory. As we have a brand new year in 2016, I want to live my life for the what you call me to, oh God. And as people are making, you know, plans about finances and spending or plans about, you know, getting in shape and dieting, we want to say, God, I want to be driven by love. I want to be a person who loves. I want to be a person that reflects your name and your glory, oh God. Jesus was asked one day, he was teaching, and this guy comes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You know, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, right? And he says, out of all 613, what's the greatest? And what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What does he say? Love. He goes, guys, don't miss it. Don't get caught up in the world and miss it. It's about love. Now, the Apostle Paul moves here from this beautiful, you know, poetry here, verses 1 through 3. He moves from the theoretical to the practical. And verse 4 gets really practical, 4 through 8. And, and it's beautiful, it's awesome, but it's amazing because it just cuts right to the heart about who we are and how we're called to live. And so I want to ask you today, this is like participation day. If you have a worship guide, you're taking notes in the worship guide, or if you're at home and online or you're writing down some things, I want you to kind of go through it. We're going to look at 16 different characteristics of what the Apostle Paul says love is or love isn't. And so as we look at these 16, I want you to just kind of think in your mind, hey, this is an area where I need to grow. 
this is an area of love that, you know, maybe God's speaking to me. Maybe I can develop. Maybe I can mature. I need to work on this area of my life. And so this is for all of us, right? Because we're all growing. We're all maturing. So maybe look over some of these. Look at verse 4. First, Paul says this, love is patient. Now, it's interesting that he starts with patience, right? I'm not very patient, so I'm like, he hits me right off the bat, you know? Love is patient. Now, now why does he say that? Why does he say love is patient? Well, what is the most desired gift of love? Is it chocolate? For some of you say yes, that's it, you know? (laughs) Or, Or maybe it's diamonds, or, you know, maybe it's flowers. No, you know what it is? What is it? Time, right? It's time. Time. That's the most desired gift. Somebody said you spell love, T-I-M-E. It's where you give your time. When Lisa and I first got married and, and we had a bunch of things going on and she was working full time, I was working full time and you know, we do the you know, honeymoon, it was awesome. And then we get back and after about a couple of weeks, we realized we hadn't seen each other a whole lot. And she comes and she goes, hey, I want us to spend time together. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, I mean like we see each other at night you know, or we're going out, we're doing this and that. She's not like, no, me and you. Me and you. Remember when we were dating, we would spend time together? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know. But see, it, that's precious. That communicates. And we often get busy, don't we? We're often running 100 miles an hour. But the most precious commodity you have is time. You can always get more money. It's not about money. It, time is the most precious thing you have to offer. Now, guys, that's a challenge for us because, honestly, we like to go to work. and We work really hard, and we say, I'm going to provide for my family, and I'm going to work overtime, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to take these extra things on. And a lot of times our family's going, hey, we don't want the extra things. We just want you. <laughs> we, just, we just want you. And when you and I, man, we love our spouse. We love our children. We, we love the people around us. When we spend time with them, that's why it says love is patient. Love is patient. And then he says love is kind. Love is kind. See, you can be present, but are you kind? You can be present, but maybe sometimes you're really not present, you know? I mean, you're there, but you're not really there because your mind's somewhere else, and you're not kind. It tells us in Titus chapter 3, in verse 4, it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. When the kindness and love, that God responds to us in love, but God responds to us in kindness. And that's the way we love him. And maybe for us, it's just, hey, I need to work on my kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not envy. Do you envy? See, the reason we envy is because we compare, Right? Now, not everybody has the same amount of money. Not everybody has the same amount of opportunities or the same amount of positions. Or, so what do we do in our minds? We start to compare. And we look around and we go, well, they got that and I want that. You know, or they got that, I want that. And so we try to keep up with the Joneses, right? We try to do things like the world says. And what happens is envy comes into our lives. And the reason that we envy, think about this, is because we're not content in ourselves, But once we learn to be content in who we are, then the envy dissipates. When we realize that God loves us, that God redeemed us, that God restored us, that God looked at us and our mistakes and everything else and our failures, and yet God accepted us, and God says, you are worth my son. I love you that much. And when you and I begin to understand that, then we go, oh, hey, good, I'm glad you got that. Look what I got. Look who I am. 
Do you envy? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. And then he goes into this. He says, it does not boast. It does not boast. It's kind of peculiar how sometimes as we mature spiritually, we can lead to arrogance. And yet that's never the intention, right? But we move from being a spiritual child to a young man, and we know a little bit more, and then we go, well, you know what? Hey, check me out, man. I'm really deep, and I'm really, you know, I could know this, and I become a spiritual father. And, and, and we move kind of toward arrogance, and yet that's never the call. Love does not boast. Love calls us to humility. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And he was found in the appearance of a man, and he humbled himself. And as we grow and mature spiritually, we should grow in humility. We should see opportunities, and we should love. Love does not boast. And then it says it's not proud. It's not proud. You know, if anybody had the opportunity to be proud, it would be Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he's like, I am the Son of God, you know. But what do we see in Scripture? Jesus pulls his disciples together, and he gets down on his knees, and he pulls out a towel, and he begins to wash their feet. Now, there's nothing more nasty than feet normally, but back then, you know, when they, they're walking around, and the, they didn't have, you know, tennis shoes to wear. I mean, they had sandals, and it's muddy and dirty, and Jesus... The creator of all is washing their feet. And then he says, I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done. And as you grow and mature in your love, you should grow and mature in your service. And whether it's serving locally right here at the Path Project or ESL or going to South Africa or going to Moldova or going to the Amazon. Or, but, but looking around and just saying, how can I serve? How, how can I help? How can I encourage? How can I build up? How can I make a difference? It does not boast. It is not proud. And then you go to verse 5. And it says, love is not rude. Love is not rude. Here's the fact. A lot of times we go, well, I'm right. Well, you can be right. But right plus rude equals wrong every time. You know, we, we just can't be rude. There's a call in your life, there's a call in my life to love people well. A lot of times we see people as an inconvenience though, you know. People are, there's traffic and we get frustrated because people are in our way. Or, you know, people take our parking spot or this restaurant's crowded. Or, and we just see them as an inconvenience instead of saying, no, I want to see people the way Jesus sees people. I want to love people the way Jesus loves people. One, one time I was at a fast food restaurant and, and, and you know, I was in line and I get up there and I order by number two, you know. And I, and I look at the guy, you know, and I said, hey, Mike, thanks a lot. And Mike just stopped. He looks down at his name tag. He looks at me and he said, you're the first person who's ever called me by name. Ever since I've worked here, you're the first person that's called me by name. I, I thought, whoa. I didn't do anything big, right? I did nothing. All I did was look at his name tag and say, hey, Mike, you're not just an object there to get me food. You're a person. You're somebody special. You're somebody's son. You're somebody's child. God has a plan for you. And it happens to me all the time. It happens to all of us that we just forget. But, but love is not rude. And this says love is not self-seeking. And what can happen often is we see other people and we think, they're just there for me, right? 
my spouse is there to serve me, my kids are there for me, you know, the people around for me, people at work for me, everybody's there for me. <laughs> but imagine, imagine how things would change as you and I begin to realize, no, wait, 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 they don't even just exist for me. They're there so that I can serve them. They're there so that I can build them up. They're there so that I can believe in them. They're there so that I can lead them to Christ. Wow! That would change everything, wouldn't it? In verse 5, love is not rude, it's not self-seeking. And then it says it's not easily angered. Are you easily angered? I don't know, I'm just wondering. Are you, do you fly off the handle? Do you get mad? Do you get frustrated? At home? At work? I remember hearing a pastor, Bill Hybels, pastor of a big church in Chicago, but he said there'd be a lot of times he would get home at night and he would pull in the driveway and he would just pray that the kids were asleep. He goes, I just didn't have the emotional energy to go in and deal with them. I would get mad, I would get angry, I'd get frustrated. And that's been a reminder to me because sometimes I come home and, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I take a deep breath. When I pull in, the, pull in our driveway, I sit there and I pray for a moment. I'm like, okay, God, give me the emotional energy. Give me the strength. God, fill me with love. Fill me with love. It says it keeps no record of wrongs. Do you keep a record of wrongs? I don't know. A lot of people do, right? I mean, we have shows on TV called Revenge, you know, because why? Because that's kind of part of our culture. If somebody does something to me, then I'm going to stew about it. I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to wait for the perfect time. And when the perfect time comes, I'm getting them. I'm getting them back for that, right? Because they did that to me. And that can spill over even into our marriage. And, and we get in an argument over, you know, taking out the trash. And then you go, well, well you remember what you did six months ago? You remember what you did two years ago? And they're like, what? I thought that we dealt with that. You're like, no, you know, you're bringing this back up. And God's going, no, 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 you keep no record of wrongs. And isn't that what God does with us? <laughs> Praise God. When God redeems and restores us, he makes us new. It says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He remembers our sins no more. And often we think, when I get to heaven, there's going to be some giant video screen, and, and all of a sudden I'm going to have to stand there, and I'm going to be like, oh, man, it's going to run all the thin mistakes I've made, and I'm just going to be right there, and everybody's going to see it. No! No! God forgets, God forgives, and he forgets. He moves those out of the way so that you and I can be redeemed and restored. And God says the same to you and to me. When somebody asks you to forgive them, then you've got to go, okay, I forgive you. And we're moving on. I'm not going to live in the past. We're moving on. I'm not keeping a record of wrongs. And look at verse 6. It says, hey, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It's strange how sometimes we can delight in evil when something goes wrong in somebody else's life and we kind of go, huh, yeah, see. And we hate that about ourselves. I think we really do, but, but it comes up, it rears its head every now and then. Somebody doesn't get the promotion or the deal doesn't come through or something happens and you're just like, yeah. But love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Do you rejoice when good things happen to other people? <laughs> Way to go, man, that's awesome, that's exciting You got the recognition, you got the promotion Way to go, you busted the curve Good job, you did great 
And then the Apostle Paul comes and he tells us not just what love is or what love isn't. He tells us what love always does. And he gives us these four things. He says, verse 7, love always protects. Love always protects. And in the Greek, that word protects literally means to cover with a roof. Can you imagine your house if it didn't have a roof? I mean, it'd be terrible. Wouldn't it be snow all inside right now? You know, it'd be iced everywhere. It would be destroyed if it didn't have a roof. And that you and I should love that way. That we should cover, that we should protect. We should protect our, our marriage or our future marriage. We should protect our children. We should protect our neighbors. We should protect people around us. And that means we don't gossip. That means we watch the things that we post online. That means we protect their reputation. We protect others. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always trusts. Do you trust? And sometimes you go, well, you don't know. I mean, they let me down so many times. Yeah, I know. But there's a call to trust. There's a call to trust. I tell my girls all the time, hey, we can't be responsible for what people do to us, but we can be responsible for how we respond. And people are going to let us down. People are going to make mistakes. But, but do we trust? Love always trusts. And love always hopes. Love always hopes. Do, do you realize that people will live up to your expectation for them? People will live up to your expectation for them. Jesus was the master at this. Jesus looked at this fisherman guy named Peter, and he says, hey, you're going to be named the rock. And I think Peter's going, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, Jesus, you don't know. I mean, I make tons of mistakes. I mess up. I put my foot in my mouth all the time. And Jesus goes, yeah, I know. But you know what? You're going to leave my church one day. I believe in you. People will live up to your expectations or live down to your expectations. See, nagging doesn't work. It just doesn't. Do you believe in the best? Do you hope for the best? Do you hope for the best in your kids, in your family, with your friends? Do you hope for the best for them? And then it says love perseveres. Perseveres. You know, love comes over time. It's easy to fall in love, right? It's easy to see somebody and get those tingly emotions and that stuff. But when you stay in love over a long period of time, when you endure over a long period of time, our culture, man, we, our culture doesn't like to commit. You know? Our culture likes to kind of pop in and out. We don't want to really commit to church. We don't want to commit to relationships. We just kind of want to be there and hang out. But I tell you, love perseveres. Love stays the course. And then he comes to verse 8 and he says simply this, love never fails. Love never fails. Hey, guys, it just won't fail. And in a world of war... In a world of anger, I want to tell you, love is what won't fail. Love is what will endure. Jesus even goes to the point to say, love your enemies. We're like, whoa, wait a minute now. You know, I'm all good with loving people who love me back. But, but now I've got to turn around and love all people. Love, Jesus is like, yeah, right, because love never fails. As you look at these things, can you go through and substitute your name for the word love in there? Could you go through and say, you know what, Jeff is patient. I'm working on it, okay? <laughs> Jeff is patient. Jeff is growing. That Jeff is kind. Um, Jeff does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Can, can you do that? That's a great measure for how am I growing? How am I becoming? Am I growing in love? Am I maturing spiritually? Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. C.S. Lewis said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. 
If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Wow. See, God's call to you and to me is to love. And to love radically. To love passionately. To love even when people don't love us back. To love. That's what sets us apart. And the Apostle Paul keeps going. He says, hey, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. See, he's tying back into 1 Corinthians 12. He's tying back into all these spiritual gifts. And he's saying, here's why love is the most excellent way. Because prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But love won't. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. He says, one day we're going to stand before God, and God's going to make things really clear. <laughs> God's going to say, listen, how did you love? How did you love me? How did you love the people around you? How did you love? And then he gives two examples. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. You know, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. How do children talk? They're like, give me, right? Give me, give me. I mean, it's just the way they are. It's okay. That's why marketers, you know, when you go to the grocery store, they put everything on eye level for like a six-year-old. So when you're checking out, they're always like, I want this candy. I want this gum. I want, you know, it's always about give me, give me, give me. But when I grew up, I put childish ways behind me. When I became a man, I started to say, you know what? It's not about just give. It's about get. It's about give. It's about how can I make a difference in others? How can I give back out of what's been given to me? I want to, that's the way a child talks. How does a child think? How does a child think? A child thinks in small terms, don't they? You know, when you're going on a trip and you, you back down out of the driveway, what's the first thing they say? Are we there yet? And you're like, no, we're still on our street. We've got eight hours to go. I mean, we're not there yet. You know, but that's their world. That's their terms. But when you become a man or a woman, when you grow up in Christ, you begin to think bigger. Can I love the people around me? But then can I even love orphans and the poorest of the poor and the forgotten? Can I love bigger? When I was a child, I reasoned like a child. How does a child reason? <laughs> well, it's all about me. You know, as a child, it's just kind of me. It's all about me. Everything is about me. It's a big show, and I'm the star. And, and yet, when you grow up, you kind of put that behind you, and you start to reason it's about love. It's about what I can do for others. And the Apostle Paul says, are you growing up? Are you maturing? Are you becoming? And then he goes on. He gives another example. He says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Isn't that what we all want? <laughs> to hear God say to us, you are fully known and you are fully loved. That's what we want for us, but isn't that what we want others to hear from us? Hey, I love you, mistakes and all. I, I love you and I care about you. And I want you to know that I'm always going to be here for you. I want you to know that I'm always going to love you. I tell you, those words go so far. And the Apostle Paul says, now these three remain, 
Faith, hope, and love. Right? Faith. Faith remains and hope remains. But, but the greatest of these, he says, is what? Love. He says the greatest of all these is, is love. It's love. Jesus told his disciples, he goes, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if what? By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have great Bible study, that's important. You have great teaching, that's great important. You have great worship, that's important. But all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. It's how you and I love that the world says, hey, they're different. There's something different about them. There's something different about their marriage. There's something different about the way they parent. There's something different about the way they are at work. There's something different about the way they live in our neighborhood. There's something different about those people. They love. They love. And that's God's call for you and for me. Church, I see you do that. I got to tell you. And I just want to thank you. I mean, many of you, you have just loved me and loved us well. You know, when my, my father went home to be with Jesus, and he's at home in heaven. But you guys, you just came around us. You, you loved us. And I said it before, but I don't know how people make it through these times without Jesus. First of all, I mean, where's the hope? But also without community, without church, without brothers and sisters in Christ to walk through the good times and the tough times. We need each other. And God has said, love. You know, my dad, I mean, he was a great man. But my dad didn't take anything with him except his relationship with Christ. And he stood before the Lord and he heard those words, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And it wasn't about his accomplishments. It wasn't about the things he did on earth. It wasn't about, you know, any retirement accounts or anything else. It was about the way that he loved. And I pray that as a man, I can love my wife that well. I pray I can love Lisa. I pray that I can love my children so well. I pray I can love you. I pray that we can love each other. Because that's the call of God in our lives. So how are you doing at love? How are you growing? How are you maturing? How are you becoming? Are you more in love with God today than you were five years ago? Do you want to spend time with Him? Do you want to grow in your relationship with Him? How are you doing in your marriage? Are you loving your spouse? How are you doing with your roommates if you're not married? How are you doing with your parents? Are you loving them well? How are you doing with your kids? It's all about love. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Where are you today? Where are you today? Right now, would you just be honest with the Lord? Maybe think through some of those things love is or love isn't and say, hey, God, I want to be honest. I need to grow in this area. God, I want to love How's your marriage? Are you loving your spouse? Are you putting them before yourself? How about your future marriage? Are you preparing your heart and being pure? How about loving your parents? <laughs> loving people at church or people at work? Father God, we would come before you, God. And we admit that so often, God, we get caught up in ourselves and 
in our own selfishness, Father, I'm the first one to admit it. And I pray today, God, that you would show us to put childish ways behind and to grow and mature, to be driven, God, not by the things of this world, but be driven by love. So, Father, help us to love well. Help us to love you with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And help us to love those around us. Father, we need you. We can't do it on our own, but praise God through the power of your Holy Spirit within us that we can truly love. Help us to find our worth and our contentment in Christ and then to give generously to all those around us. Lord, teach us to love. Teach us to love. As we continue this time of response this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to have a chance to sing, but we're also going to have some people around the room, um, some of our A6, some of our spiritual leaders, some of our staff. If you just want somebody to, to pray with you or to pray over you, maybe it's praying for your marriage. Maybe it's been a tough spot or maybe it's a good spot. Or just pray. Maybe it's praying for a relationship you have and, man, you've got this list of wrongs and you haven't forgiven and you haven't forgotten. I don't know what it is, but I want us to respond to the Lord in worship. Maybe you want to kneel down by your chair. Maybe you're at home and you want to pray together with your family. But this is our time to respond. Let's stand together and let's worship and let's respond back right now.